Would you just join me as I pray? Lord, we come before you in the midst of a country that is divided and fighting. And Lord, we pray for our country. And Lord, we pray for the city of Atlanta today. And we ask you to bring healing and peace. And Lord, we pray for the churches in Atlanta, and we ask you that they would go out and be a light shining in the darkness, and that the gospel will go forward, and that lives will be changed. Lord, we just ask you that you would just speak to us today as we go into your word, and that you would help me, Lord, to just speak what you desire, and to be quiet when it's just my words and not yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church. And in this series, we're taking a look at a letter that a man named Paul wrote. And he wrote it to a group of people, a church in a city called Corinth. And what we've learned so far is that there is a power and wisdom that occurs in culture and that people seem to march in rhythm to, and then there is a power and wisdom that occurs in the gospel that runs countercultural to what is going around. And up until this point, what has happened is that Paul has gone on this interesting back and forth journey of just this encouragement at times and then this discipline at times. And he goes in tangents and he goes all over the place. And, and today we're kind of returning to uh, this topic that he talked about before. And, and what he does in chapters one and two is he creates this categories of those who are saved by Jesus and those who are not. Those who have access to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and those who are living according to the wisdom of culture. Those who have access to the power of the Holy Spirit and those who live under the power of culture. And he makes these two distinct categories. But then he comes back into chapter three and he revisits those categories and he now introduces a third category. What he introduces is the immature Christian. And as we begin to read this undertone of Paul's words, you hear him basically telling the church in Corinth, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. So we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading the first four verses. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What happens in chapter 3 is that Paul makes an assessment. He makes an assessment of the church in Corinth. 
And again, you have to go back to what he was doing in chapters 1 and 2. He was making these categories of those who were saved by Jesus and those who were not. Again, those who lived according to the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit and those who were living according to the power and wisdom of of culture. And he makes these assessments uh, of these categories, and then he makes this assessment of the church in Corinth. And there's two things that happen in the assessment. The first thing that he does is that he actually creates a subgroup. He actually creates a secondary group underneath the two categories. The first thing we need to understand is that Paul is not questioning the salvation of the church in Corinth. He's not questioning that. He's saying, in fact, the church in Corinth is in Christ. So his assessment begins by not questioning their faith as far as whether or not they are in Christ or not. He makes the assessment, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. But you're mere infants. You're big babies is what he's calling them. You're just a bunch of big babies. And and you got to understand that at that point, there are all these factions that are occurring, and people are saying, I follow Apollos, which was another teacher, or I follow Paul, who's writing the letter, or I follow Cephas, which was another teacher. And, then, and they're saying all these things, and there's all this fracturing and division, and, and, and they're beginning to assign value based on who they're, they're following, and they begin to take pride in the wisdom that they have. And Paul is looking at them, and he's saying... You're just big babies. You think that you're so smart. You think that you're so wise. Slow your roll, church in Corinth, because here's the deal. The main course is on the table. There's meat that is coming, but all you're able to do is drink milk because you're not ready. All you're able to do is drink milk. I remember when my children were younger and and when they were babies. And, and the thing is, is that when they're younger, it didn't really take much learning to drink the bottle of milk. You know, they, they would take that bottle and, and they would drink it with this ferocity and this speed, and they, and they would just be guzzled down. Now, meat, it doesn't occur the same way. My youngest son, Justice, loves steak. He loves steak. It's like his favorite thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, he loves steak. And I remember some of the early times when he first ate steak. When he was young, really young, and he first ate steak. So he would take the steak, and he would chew it. Then he would chew it some more. And he kept chewing it like it was some beef bubble gum. And then he would spit it out. Because he, he couldn't get to the point where he felt comfortable swallowing the meat and digesting it. And what was frustrating at that time was that my wife and I wanted to go and we, and we kept telling him, no, we need to cut the meat small. And he would get so angry at us because we would want to cut the meat smaller and smaller so that he could chew the steak. And he would get so angry. And why would he get angry? Because he thought that he was ready to eat meat when in fact his body had not developed enough. Again, the people in Corinth 
thought they were ready for. In fact, they thought they were actually eating meat. They thought they were actually gaining this wisdom. They took pride in it. And what Paul was saying is your assessment of yourselves is incorrect. You are in fact just mere infants, mere infants. And all you can handle is milk. All you can handle is milk. And so Paul makes this correction of an assessment with the people in Corinth. And he makes this assessment that you are in fact in Christ. There is no question there. You are in fact in Christ. Yet you are spiritually immature. You are spiritually immature. And so he makes this assessment and then he continues on and he outlines the attribute for that assessment, the attribute of the immature Christian. I want to review for a bit. Again, Corinth was the city where everything went. Everything was okay. It's the Las Vegas of the Bible. What happens in Corinth, it stays in Corinth. So everything is okay there. No rules. No rules. And Paul actually confronts this, this church in Corinth on how they they mirror their culture. He confronts them in the letter. He, he talks about sexual immorality. He talks in the letter about even lawsuits. He talks about eating food sacrifice to idols. He talks about all of these different things. And he's saying, you guys can't do all these things. And he begins to address all these things. What I find interesting is that none of those things made the cut when it came to chapter 3. None of those things actually made the cut when it came to the attribute of the immature Christian, when it came to the attributes of the big baby Christians, the mere infants. So what is the attribute that Paul points out as evidence for this assessment that he makes of this spiritual immaturity? He talks and he says, there is quarreling around, uh, amongst you. There is jealousy and quarreling amongst you. What he calls out is the division amongst them. What was happening was that there were these factions, there was these groups, again, like they, they're forming and they're dividing the church. And what's left is this broken, divided church. And what I think is interesting at times is that sometimes we equate spiritual maturity to intelligence or knowing certain doctrinal words or knowing certain language and speaking a certain way or we equate it to, to looking a certain way or dressing a certain way or acting a certain way. And what Paul is saying is that the evidence in Corinth, the attribute for the immaturity statement that he made is their quarreling. Their division, the fact they are broken and divided. Craig Blomberg is a, a commentator on the book of First Corinthians, and he writes this. Their quarreling not only mocks the cross-centered gospel, but fails to recognize the fundamental equality of all believers when measured against the attributes and character of God. Their quarreling not only mocks the cross-centered gospel, 
but fails to recognize the fundamental equality of all believers when measured against the attributes and character of God. The other night I got a text from one of my friends who attends Calvary Church, and it was actually a late text. In fact, it was a very late text. I'm going to have to talk to that person about sending very, very late texts. But what I read in that text was, was someone who just couldn't sleep, that their heart was wrestling with something, and they had to express it at that moment. And so when I read it, the text said, hey, I want you to know that I'm praying for you and for the leadership of Calvary. And it, and it detailed some of the things that he was praying about, some of the things that he was concerned with. And then he wrote something at the end that struck me. He said, it seems like there is more division in Calvary than ever before. And that hit me. And it hit me not just for Calvary Church. It hit me for the church in general. Now, the reality is, is that I have not been at Calvary Church since the beginning, so I don't know if his text is accurate. I have not been alive as, as long as some of you have been, so I don't know if my assessment of the church in general is accurate. But what I do know is that currently I look around and the church seems to be more divided than any time that I have seen. There's division. There's strife. Three months ago, about three months ago, we rolled out our new vision and values. We said that we were to continue what Jesus started, and we talked about connect and impact. As God connects with us and impacts our lives, we are to connect with others and impact the lives of others. And we rolled it out, our priorities and, and our vision for two years, and we celebrated, and we had all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, a virus stopped everything. Well, it forced us to stop coming to a building. The church never stopped. But what was interesting is that I began to see people who had just rallied together about connecting an impact. I began to see them argue over whether masks should be worn or masks shouldn't be worn. I began to see them argue over uh, the importance of physical health versus the importance of financial health. And I began to see people tear each other apart through typing on a keyboard and posting. And my heart began to break because the people that I see, and not everyone, not everyone, but the people that I see that are becoming divided, I know their hearts. And I know the capacity to love and what I saw isn't who they are. In just three months, it seemed like it became more important to argue a point than to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And if that wasn't bad enough, we were broken again by a much older and more devastating sickness in our country. The truth is, is that our country has lived through years and years of hate and racism. 
And while this is not the attribute of everyone, we cannot deny that it exists in our country and it exists in our community. And what I have been troubled by is that what I have seen is more political conversations than biblical conversations. And I understand that politics is involved. I understand that some of the solutions that are proposed or some of the, uh, of the thoughts that are proposed are political in nature. And I understand that even politics has taken this issue on and at times, uh, in my opinion, both sides have taken advantage of it. I understand there are politics involved. And I encourage all of us as a church to engage in conversations about those political solutions Yes, let's engage in conversations. Let's stop fighting. Let's engage in conversations. But that is not our primary focus. That is not our primary focus. The deeper issue is one that the church should not allow culture to dictate whether it's divided or not. The deeper issue calls us to be countercultural. The deeper issue is a heart issue. This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. It's a biblical issue. We are called to be the countercultural church. And if I look around at our culture, all I see is division and anger and, and, and violence and, and all sorts coming from all sorts of different places. We're called to be different. We're called to be countercultural. What is necessary is complete heart change, and we are called to love better. We are called to love better. So, yes, my heart breaks for those who have experienced injustice in our country. My heart breaks. And yes, my heart breaks for those whose lives have been destroyed by violent responses or looting. And yes, my heart breaks for black families that are hurting. And yes, my heart breaks for police families that are hurting. My heart breaks for the city of Atlanta today. My heart breaks for our country. And yes, my heart breaks for the church. Because in a time when the world needs us to shine the light brighter than ever before, we seem to look a lot like the darkness around us more than the light. And the truth is, is that I know, I know your heart's, We can love better because I've seen it. I've seen your love. And I'm thankful for the people that I'm talking to because I'm thankful for the love you've shown to me and and my family. But now more than ever, we need to love better. Because I want to remind you of one thing. We are in a very real battle with a very real enemy called Satan. 
And when the church across America, when Calvary Church, when whatever church is divided and fighting amongst itself, Satan sitting back and enjoying the view. Because we're accomplishing his task. We cannot be fractured, fighting, and divided. We have to grow up. We have to love better. If you were to look a little bit further in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul talks about unity again, and he says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. My heart break when my brothers and sisters are heartbroken. Or does it respond in anger, looking to prove a point? Because I'm going to tell you honestly, I have had phone calls from families that are hurting in our church. I have had phone calls from mothers of black children who are hurting because their children are hurting. I have had phone calls from mothers of police officers who are hurting because their children and grandchildren are hurting. And what I've seen is that we have people around us who are hurting and all we seem to care about is being right. There are people around us hurting. We have to love better. We have to love better. So as we look at the church in Corinth, we see a church that had this assessment of itself that it was, that it was so wise, that it was, it was so great. And Paul corrects the assessment and says, you are just big babies. You are mere infants. There's more. There's meat to eat. And all you are doing is drinking milk. There's more. And then he begins to to explain the evidence for his assessment with identifying this attribute of division and quarreling and strife. And as we look at that assessment, as we look at that attribute, and we look around us in our culture, and we look at the fact that we need to be the countercultural church, what I want to say is that there is an alternative. There is an alternative to division. There is an alternative to strife. There is an alternative to quarreling. There is an alternative to hatred. And the alternative is the gospel. The alternative is the gospel. This past week, we had a panel speak to our staff. And there was a man on the panel that I respect very much. His name is Dante. He's just one of our members of Calvary Church, except he might happen to have a little darker color of skin than some of you out there. And Dante commented, because that statement was made, is that the answer is the gospel, and Dante just was honest and vulnerable for a moment. He's like, I've heard that said. I've heard that the answer is the gospel. It seems like Everyone has a different interpretation of what that means, and it seems like it's not working. And then he made a statement that just floored me. Dante said this, 
If we are all reading the same book, why are we all so divided? If we are all reading the same book, why are we all so divided? And Charles responded, and he responded with truth, and his answer was correct. He said, it's because we are broken and we are sinful. And then I want to take that a little bit further, because if we look at Paul, Paul's response is actually a little harsher. Paul's response actually stings a little bit. Because it just might be that the answer is because we are just mere infants and that we need to grow up. And when I say we, I include me. When I say we, I am not talking at you. I am talking to a mirror. I include me. But how do we grow up? How do we take those next steps in our faith? How do we take those next steps of eating meat? You know, how do we do that as a church community? Well, you can't have community without unity. You can't have community without unity. And that doesn't mean that we all have to look the same. It doesn't mean that we even have to think the same and have the same views on, on things in our culture. It doesn't mean that we can't disagree. In fact, I think the evidence of a gospel-centered church is that there is unity in the midst of diversity. The most beautiful picture of a gospel-centered church is when there is unity in the midst of diversity. So we need to be a church that is known for our unity. U-N-I-T-Y. Unity. You understand the gospel. Understand the gospel. That is the foundation of everything we do. No matter what it is we are disagreeing on, whether it's, whether it's racism or, or, or politics or, or masks or no masks or whatever it is we are disagreeing on, our foundation better be the gospel. Whatever it is that we are, are doing, it better be the gospel. And when you understand the gospel, you see God for who he is, you see yourself for who you are, and then you see others the way that God sees them. We need to understand the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, is that the gift of the gospel, it came with a subsequent command. John chapter 13 says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The commandment is not just love one another, it's love one another as Jesus loved. It's love one another as Jesus loved. How do people know that we are followers of Jesus? If we love others the way that Jesus did. And again, this is not meant to bash anyone. This is me being vulnerable, vulnerable right here, but I have to be honest. 
that sometimes when I'm on Facebook or Instagram, I really have to wonder, when I look at people who are not from church, do they know? Do they know that we are followers of Jesus? Because I don't see much love. So what do they know about us? Love one another. It's not simply love God, love others. It's love God, love others like Jesus loved. Let's go to the next letter. Notice someone. Notice someone. Merriam-Webster defines notice as this, to be aware of. To be aware of. How can we be aware of those around us? How can we be aware of people with different views? How can we be aware of people who are coming from different stories, different backgrounds, different cultures? How can we notice and be aware and notice the beauty of our differences? You know, as a parent, I will say that one of the things that we can do as parents is Celebrate the differences when we're younger. There are picture books that you can read that celebrate differences. Create in your children the ability to notice and be aware of people who are different, but be aware of the beauty. And not just be aware that people are different, but be aware of people's hearts. Are we aware that someone is hurting? Are we aware that this person's heart is breaking? Are we aware that this person was hurt? Are we aware in our own homes of those around us? Notice someone. I invite someone. Invite someone different. You know, invite someone who may be from a different political party than you into your life. Invite someone who who may be of a different ethnicity. Invite someone, if you're a mask wearer, invite a non-mask wearer into your life. If you're a non-mask wearer, invite a mask wearer into your life. Invite someone to... If you are an Eagles fan, invite the Cowboys fan into your life. We're not ready for that kind of maturity. <laughs> invite someone. Invite someone into your life. The truth of the matter is, is that if all the people in my life are the same as me, look the same, think the same, act the same, then I am missing so much in the richness and beauty of life. Invite someone different into your life. T, talk with someone. Talk with someone. You know, we, we kind of say a lot, and I've said it actually also, uh, we need to listen. We need to listen. That's true. We do need to listen. But we also need to talk. We also need to be able to share what's going on in our own hearts. We also need to be able to to tell our own story. And the reason I say talking with is because of that listening thing. We don't talk to, we talk with. We talk with someone. Just a little bit of advice. Don't do that on social media. Either pick up the phone, go grab a, a cup of coffee and go to the park and meet someone, but talk with someone. Parents, talk with your children. What's going on in their hearts? 
How are they wrestling with, with everything that's happening with, with the virus or what's happening with the unrest in, in, in our culture? Like, how are they? Are you talking with your children? High school students, talk with your parents. Parents, let them talk. Listen to what they have to say. They are about to enter into a world that you did not grow up in. Let them talk and listen to their heart. Let's talk with someone. Finally, why? Yield to someone. Yield to someone. I've had the joy of teaching my children to drive. One of them has a license, one of them has a permit, and so continue to pray for me. But here's the deal. One of the things that you do is when you are getting your permits test, one of the things that you learn is about yielding. Because when you come to a yield sign, what happens? You allow someone else to be first. When you come to a yield sign, you allow someone else to be first. But who gets to be first? What happens if you all arrive at the same time? It's very complicated when you think about who yields to whom. Well, in regards to this thing, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're used to if you're used, used to people yielding to you, if your life is filled with people yielding to you, then maybe it's time to yield to someone else. Maybe it's time to allow someone else to be first. Someone else's feelings to be first. Someone else's pain to be first. Yield to someone. Yield to someone. U-N-I-T-Y. Unity. Understand the gospel. Notice someone. Invite someone. Talk with someone. Yield to someone. It's time that we are a church that is known for our unity. It's time that we grow up and stop drinking milk and begin to eat meat. It's time for us to bring the gospel to a culture that needs it desperately. Let's keep the mission in focus. We are to continue what Jesus started and bring the good news of Jesus to everyone and anyone so that lives will be changed and our culture will never look the same again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that even though we act like big babies, you still love us. That even though we quarrel and fight amongst ourselves, even though that breaks your heart, you do not abandon us or give up on us. You still love us. Lord, I ask you to bring healing to the church. That we would love better that we would be united, that we would go forth boldly with the gospel. Lord, heal our country. Heal our world. Show up in a way like we've never seen before and allow us to see it with eyes that are filled with love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.